Welcome to Ignite, an original podcast from Design Sensory Intelligence. This is a podcast for business pros like you, from sports and entertainment to travel and tourism, financial services to economic development and more. We uncover relevant, timely information that will help keep you at the fore of consumer behavior understanding. Our host, Chris Wise, the brains behind Ignite, has been deeply committed to research, insights, and innovation for over 30 years. He knows the right questions to ask and, more importantly, what to do with the answers. Get ready for the engaging, in-depth conversations with industry leaders that will inspire you to take action and connect with your audience on real human terms. This is Ignite, the spark to light your fire. Welcome to Ignite, where we have the opportunity to talk with subject matter experts about important and compelling MarCom issues. Specifically, we delve into incredible tools and disciplines for audience understanding, identification, behaviors, and ways to engage them at every touch point. Today, we are pleased to be joined by Amanda Verhoff, President and Executive Director of the Association of Luxury Suite Directors. Amanda, welcome. Morning, Chris. Thank you so much for having me, but be very careful using that word expert with me. I am far from it, but uh, at any rate, pleased to join you. Thanks for having me. So delighted that, that you're with us. We've known each other uh, for about five years, and we have witnessed many changes in the world of premium experiences at the great sports and entertainment venues around the globe. You've been smack in the middle of that, and through your work, have been a catalyst for change and accelerated the evolution of the offering. So first, tell us about yourself, your background, your position, responsibilities, how you found your way to ALSD, and what your day-to-day looks like. Well, first and foremost, uh, I have to commend you and, and Design Sensory for the conversation today and what we're going to talk about. Yes, uh, I work in sports and specifically in premium seating, which I'll tell you about here momentarily. But I think that the conversation we'll have today is is far beyond suites and premium and sports venues, frankly. So I'm excited to, to jump into what happens after this initial question is answered. So to go back and, and answer your question pointedly, right place, right time is how I came to be at the ALSD. So I, I was a, a soccer player, an athlete uh, in my past life. And after college, after my four years of college, my coach said, Hey, do you want to stay for a fifth year? And I said, well, is it free? (laughs) And he said, well, sure. So uh, I stayed for my fifth year. I started my graduate school, stayed, played soccer. And then uh, by the luck of the draw, my mentor, who I'll, I'll probably talk about a little bit later as well, invited me to be the first ever sport management program graduate assistant. And what that did was allow me to teach several classes, um, one of them being self-defense, so watch back. And secondly, I was able to, to assist him in the sport management classes, a couple of them. And Bill Dorsey, our founder and chairman, happened to be one of the guest speakers who came in and spoke to a group of, uh, gosh, I forget what class it was, maybe intro to sport management. He came in and spoke and, and opened my eyes and my world to what premium seating was. And at the end of his talk, he, you know, kind of threw up his hands and said, you know what, I need some interns. <laughs> well, I raised my hand and I said, I'm interested. I don't know what the hell premium seating is, but I'm in. So in addition to my graduate assistant um, uh, responsibilities, I started driving down to Cincinnati from Dayton a couple of days a week and started putting in conference data and membership data a couple hours a week. I was 16 years ago. Fast forward and I have the the great fortune and luck uh, to be still riding his coattails and being the president and executive director of the Association of Luxury Suite Directors, which covers the premium seating industry, as you know, Chris. Uh, And as I'll get into probably later on too, we have several other branches to our ALSD tree uh, that I'll I'll be happy to expand upon. But hopefully that uh, answers your question about Sam. Absolutely. Kind of funny how opportunities come into our lives and have to pay attention a little bit to, to, to get down the road. 
My friend um, present is a, uh, a a quote. It's not even a quote. It's, it's it's frankly two words. But it's funny you say that because I was having dinner with a, a, one of our board advisors, our board president from the Green Bay Packers at the time. I was having dinner with her in New York City. We were doing a site visit for our 2010 conference, and it was this was pre kids for me. This was 2010. My first was in 2012, and we were talking about having a family, and she already had one. And she said to me. You know, Amanda, the one thing when you have kids, the only thing truly that you have to focus on is being present. And I never had heard it just so pointed, like that's literally what you have to focus on. And that's about it in your life. If you're present in the things that you are passionate about, or simply the things that you engage and experience, then you'll succeed. Because, you know, if you don't, I didn't start paying attention in my life until about, you know, 30 years into my life. And I'm like, geez, I think I missed out on a lot of my life not being present. So I'm glad to hear you echo that philosophy as well. Boy, I can so relate to that. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us about the specific of the work and mission of ALSD. For sure. So ALSD was was born about the same time that sweets were. So at the time, Phil Dorsey, who is, is our founder, who I mentioned, produced a lifestyle magazine. And he had this desire to place them into sweets where, you know, people of affluent lifestyles are. They were frequenting those. And, you know, sweets at the time were a new product in sports venues. And he kind of got to thinking, well, you know, rather than this lifestyle magazine, maybe sweets and premium could become an industry all of its own. Well, lo and behold, it did. So fast forward and sweets and luxury boxes and executive boxes, whatever they were called back in the day, sky boxes, because they're at the top of the venues. This whole industry was born. And we started with just a few venues before my time. Obviously, this was 32 years ago. We started with very few venues that had premium seats. And this was in the 1990s. You know, me, I was still a kid back then. But these suites were a growth product in a lot of these professional sports venues, college venues, racing venues, entertainment venues. And originally it was, you know, contractually obligated income. You sell these boxes for five, seven, 10 years, and you've got that, that income coming into these venues year over year. And so, you know, at our core, we are an association and a conference and trade show serving what is now a huge premium seating industry. Just about every professional venue, college venue, racing venue have some type of premium. And so for us, we include all the people who sell, service, and provide for premium seating in all of those venues. So for instance, those are folks like, and I'll, I'll go to your region, VP of premium at the Tennessee Titans or the manager of premium services at the Predators. You know, the list goes on and we've grown to include just about every professional sports team as well as a lot of other large venues. And for those that don't know, an association really is, is rooted in providing a community and a platform and educational network for us for those premium seating professionals. And we're also positioned to link vendors, suppliers, and the food and beverage concessionaires with the teams in the venues. You can't operate a venue in a suite or a, a loge box or anything like that without the proper sharing and technology and carpeting and amenities. So again, we are the voice of the teams as well as the vendor suppliers and food and beverage providers. Um, and you know, the important thing about ALSD is while our core you know, has been and will always be premium, we are now what I will call ALSD evolved. And we've evolved for several reasons. And I'll get into those momentarily, but I'll, I'll add that we have now several other tracks besides premium. We've got a design and build forum. We have a technology symposium. 
And there's several other areas that are gaining momentum. Why we did that is we feel that the venue experience and operation is all connected. It's, you know, we cannot um, operate in silos in our sports venues any longer. Technology, design, sustainability, it all impacts the other side of each other's industries, if you will. You can't operate a venue without all of those silos kind of being broken down. So again, uh, at our core, we, we cover premium, but our other branches of the ALSD are producing what we hope to be a very comprehensive and fruitful educational platform. And what we do each year, besides our, our membership 365 platform, is we organize a large conference and trade show. And we do city essentially has the newest, shiniest toy, toys some of the time. So we just hosted in New York City this past year. And what we do in the evening is we tour those new shiny sports venues. Because if I, let's say I work at the, the Dayton Dragons or the Cincinnati Reds, I'm in my region. Well, I work there, you know, almost 365 days a year. It would be incumbent on me to get out and see other venues, see what those new bells and whistles are in those other venues so that I can take those best practices and those physical amenities back to my own venue. So again, in New York City this year, the New York Islanders building was brand new. And then we also saw the Barclays Center, which is a 10-year-old building, but sure as hell is reinvented with some incredible new premium areas and amenities never seen before. And then we took our folks to to the USTA, the National Tennis Center, to see some really unique premium um, uh, amenities as well. So again, we, we tour in whichever city and hold our conference in whichever city we can give our attendees and, and our association the best opportunity to see what the state of the art amenities and experiences are in sports venues. Yeah, and, and the experiences uh, for me have been just amazing just to, to see the different offerings. Um, having joined you in, in New York recently, it was just amazing, especially that very shiny new toy for the New York Islanders. That was an incredible experience. Shifting a little bit, um, you know, we do a great deal of research with the American sports fan, including our commitment to furthering the discipline of enlightened marketing, which captures true inclusivity. And you're extremely supportive of that cultural shift as social empathy grows. What do you see happening with venues and organizations as it relates to the whole of diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility? Well, I'll tell you what you already know is that sports stands on such a powerful platform. Very few, if any, industries receive as much attention and notoriety, media, social media attention as sports. And as such, and with so many eyes on it, you know, it's incumbent on sports to lead society, right? Players and the coaches, those that have significant media and social followings, you know, they tend to be the biggest, most recognizable, noticed voices. But I would say that the business side of sports can truly create the culture that has the capacity to impact and amplify those big voices. Meaning those athletes, those coaches, they all work for an association whose culture should be what they're amplifying and as part of their personal missions. That's not always the case. Some speak out on on their own platforms and things, but I do think that the business side has such an impact on those big voices. Um, And so one of the things that, that, and maybe this is personally an aside, but uh, I'll lean on one of my mentors, the one who I I worked with at University of Dayton in the sport management program, and I'll lean on his advice to me. And he said, (laughs) pardon my language, but he said, write down what you give a shit about, right? So what, what did that mean? So individuals should do this, as should organizations. What do we care about? Is it DE and I? and accessibility? Is it sustainability? Is it women's rights? You know, what is it that we give a shit about? Is it food? I'll give an example momentarily with food being a a big part of my life and what I did about that. But again, focus on what you give a shit about. 
do you know someone that was affected by cancer? Are you passionate about rights for the LGBTQ plus community? What movement moves you and what can you do about it? And again, we as individuals and we as organizations and cultures should be asking that question always so that we can then get behind it. And it's, it's, a, it's, it's a big, big lift, a heavy lift, if you will, to get behind something that is as big as what you're studying. But I'll give a really simple example here um, that I'm really proud to share. Food is a big part of my life. I, I love to cook. I love to break bread with, with family and friends. And so I got to thinking recently, like, what can I do with that passion that could lead to something good? And so I started looking at food drives through a local food bank here in Dayton and organized one through my kids' soccer camp. Okay, that's simple. There's you know four teams with, I don't know, 100 kids total. Well, the turnout was incredible. We had bins for a, a, a food drive. And again, the, the amount of food that was donated first was awesome. Hard to carry. It's really hard to get some big bins on a soccer uh, venue if you've ever done so. But what I found out is you can create a tribe of others who care about that too by simply putting yourself out there. I met a family, a couple who had adopted several children who but at the time that they were adopted were malnourished. Okay, sad story, right? Well, <laughs> the silver lining is, they donated, this family donated at this food drive more food than any, than the entire group combined, they themselves. These kids took their own money personally and bought food to donate to this cause. They basically filled three bins with their own money. And these are young kids. These are 10-year-olds, eight-year-olds, six-year-olds. Wow. And it was incredible to see that. And it's so admirable. And again, it added to that tribe of people who also care about what you care about. So it's organic growth for good, right? You put yourself out there, you do something that seems so small, yet it's so big that your niche, care about your, your passion can be so big. And so I think it's just starting. It's just starting. Start, write, write it down what you give a shit about and then do something. And, and trust me, it'll, it'll grow into something bigger. That's incredible. Wow, you're right, and and uh, and the dialogue, or even experiencing, I'm watching people's eyes open a bit. Again, sometimes in a small way, sometimes in a one of those oh wow moments. And uh, but I, and I like that. Know what you give a shit about. It's uh, it's uh, it's raw, but it's right to the point. It's raw, but it's right to the cut. That's it's the perfect way to put it. <laughs> I heard something the other day. What was it? I don't want to be everyone's cup of tea, but I do want to be the right people's cup of bourbon or something like that. So yes, if you if you don't like that language, you know, maybe maybe tweak it to, to what it is you like, but at any rate. Yeah, we're gonna go with that. So <laughs> so um what would you really like to see happening going forward? <laughs> I thought about this one. Uh and, and <laughs> I don't know if I'll put myself on the right side of, of any arguments here, but what I'd like to see is for no one to ever say to anyone in our industry again, shut up and dribble. Okay. We all know that a couple of years ago that was said, right? I feel that it's right to speak up and speak out. The only caveat I will put to that is to do so only when you're informed. Okay. Ignorance, I think, has no part in speaking out. If you don't know about it, you shouldn't be speaking about it. Right. So that's the caveat. Being informed can come from more than a book, though. From personal experience, it can come from listening. And that's actually where I stand on several social issues. I know what I don't know. And so rather than speaking out frequently, I shut up. I'm in listening mode until I can generate my own informed beliefs on an issue with the backing of either information or experience, right? So I think that, like, again, what I would like to see is for us to, to attack these, these challenges. And I think that, again, you have to start small. I think to inform yourself, you may, you may think, okay, I'll inform myself, but then how do I, how do I start if I care about something, if I inform myself on a passion? Well, then what? Like, what do I do? That's the whole challenge. It's like, there's these big issues, DE&I, sustainability, you know, all these other issues, they're so big and it's a heavy lift, right? So start by asking questions. So who's the expert 
or who's a knowledgeable source about something that you care about? Like Chris, you design sensory, that's a call I would make. Uma, for instance, another one, leading a minority group. Like ask those who know about accessibility issues, what do they want? What are, what are the right resources that they can help us look to if we care about accessibility? You gave some incredible statistics um, to me as we were prepping for the ALSD conference, right? I didn't know, and I don't want to steal your thunder. So like, what's the stat? How many people have accessibility concerns in this world that we may not know about? What's that statistic? Well, as far as people that have issues that, I mean, where it directly affects them is as much as 26% of, of the population. And beyond that, people that are, you know, from a social empathy standpoint, our society is paying attention, and it's truly really now sixty, somewhere between sixty and seventy-five percent of the of the total population that their eyes are opening, their hearts are opening, their minds are opening. Um, but it still takes a whole lot of work. So it's um, just thinking of that twenty-six percent. I think I also used a, a statistic, and it's probably my, one of my favorite ones. That not to pick on the NFL, but I will. That they have thirty-two teams that operate in thirty DMAs, and within those thirty DMAs, the avid NFL fan. Is disabled could fill each of those on average those team stadiums eleven times. That's all of their home season games plus about three postseason if they're fortunate enough to get into postseason. That those are avid NFL fans. It's not just not the whole disabled community. That's that's powerful. That means um, and, the, and we talk about twenty six percent. So there are four of us here. At least one of us has a disability and. And we just need to recognize that and just just respect that is is the biggest thing is what we're doing. And so. understand it. Again, that's a statistic that I wasn't aware of until I met you. And so again, it's turning to the experts to help us understand what it is we're passionate about. I'll also say that if you're not in a leadership position yet, like coordinator level, manager level uh, in premium seating, you, you think that your voice is small when you're not in those leadership roles, right? Well, it's not. Like the younger generation younger than me, I'm a top end millennial, but like the younger generation is proving to be one of our most informed and outspoken generations. Mm -hmm. So even if you're not a leader yet, get informed and voice your opinion. And if you are a leader, the second side of that is look at that next generation. They stand for causes and they want to help. So in interviews, you know, you're bringing somebody in at that coordinator level, manager level, ask what causes they believe in, and then have them champion that at your organization. They might end up having the most energy, the most potential resources to make the biggest impact. And so I think it starts at the top and at the bottom for those that have the passion and those that can influence those that have the passion. Again, I think that if you look at a lot of rallies or causes or things like that, you see that younger generation really getting behind it. And that's what's so, I don't know, encouraging about moving forward. You know, like our generation isn't just a bunch of snowflakes, you know, like we are, we're on social media, sure, like all the time, but maybe we're on there learning about stuff. Maybe we're we're out there getting informed, you know, not just pecking on our phones on, on you know, TikTok and Snapchat and all that stuff. So, <laughs> you know, I, I want to also point out something that, that you mentioned before too, and, and this is accessibility specifically. You pointed out um, that it's socially and financially prudent <laughs> to shift to do what's best for all audiences. Like you just said it yourself, 26% right. of that population can fill a stadium. So we need our venues to open up to all demographics, welcome those with accessibility concerns, not way prudent. And I learned from you, that can also happen on the marketing and sales side of our experiences on our websites and our social media. Like there's a shortcoming in a lot of cases, I won't pick on our industry, but in, a, in every industry that we aren't focusing on those with accessibility concerns on our own marketing campaigns. So I think it's as simple as that to focus uh, on that. So we also say that, you know, moreover, a line from one of your fellow panelists, 
uh, Tracy Suckrath from Thrive Meeting and Events, she said it best when we were planning for the panel. She said, our experiences in our venues need to appeal. And again, I might be butchering this, but something along the lines of we need to appeal to the minority so that we can serve the majority. And I thought that was so cool. Design for that 56%. And at the end of the day, you're probably going to serve hundred. And so I thought that was so cool. And if, you know, look up Tracy Stuckrat too, one of your now counterparts with Thrive Meeting and Events. She has a podcast as well. She's done, yeah, I think, 150 yeah. interviews. And she's absolutely incredible. And, you know, her, her example of designing for the minority leads to me, something I noticed at the Cavs game the other day at Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse. I was with my kids and, and my husband, and I noticed lower countertops at the bars. I was like, yes. That's exactly what we're talking about here. And lo and behold, it wasn't just for, for those that needed lower countertops necessarily, but I put my food on it and my kids put their food on it because they, their heads weren't all the way up to that bar level and they were able to put their food on it. So even though my kids don't have accessibility issues at this time, they were able to, to uh, uh, you know, profit from, <laughs> to, to lack of a better word, from those lower countertops. So there's like this big snowball effect too. And it's not only leaning on accessibility DEI experts, but think about in our industry, it's architects and designers of sports venues. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut it there because I'm getting long-winded, but this is just to say that like there's a snowball effect that all these different people and constituents care about these issues and can influence it from the design to the marketing to the operation of these venues if we just lean in. Yep. Yeah. And what, what we do is all about listening to, the, uh, we listen to the, uh, to the people that are impacted as we gather um, information. We're talking to, we're talking to everyone. So, so it really is, it really is important. And, and the fact that you say that making that change, the change doesn't have a negative impact on those that don't have an issue. You're right. It just makes it, if you pay attention and make the changes, it just makes it right for everyone. It, it makes total sense. Tell me about key milestones in your career that are influencing how you personally view sports and entertainment venue offerings today. Yeah, they're not milestones, um, but there, there's two things, I guess. I'll say they're experiences. One. Um, if I'm being frank, being a woman, we are still, women are still in, in the minority and leadership roles in sports. Now, that might be natural in a way. And what I mean by that is it's still men, mostly, the, the bigger sports that are getting the most notice that are on the field and the court. So it may seem natural for men to also lead these organizations. But by and large, sports are just businesses who are poised for financial and social successes that we talked about earlier. So shouldn't gender kind of be agnostic to who leads them? I would think so. So I don't know that it's, it should be any, any longer men in those leadership roles. So I think we will see a shift, and I think we already have see a shift in leadership roles in sports organizations and businesses more than ever coming up here in the future. And, you know, I, I think that more than that, too, it's certain movements whether it's diversity or inclusivity or accessibility or women in leadership, whatever it is, like there are still, and pardon me for using a word that I don't, I don't mean literally, but we're still in a fight for equality, for balance, for equity. And I would love there to come a day when there is not that fight for that balance, for that equity, for that inclusion, right? I would love there for there not to be social issues anymore, but we aren't there yet. And so there is still whatever fight that you feel is in you to still get everyone to that level playing field. It might be pie in the sky. I, I don't know. But I think that we all must focus on equity and equality. And again, it's doing simple things. It's listening to, to Deanna Witter's Women's Blazers podcast, you know, another great one. She interviews incredible female leaders in sports. You know, lean into stuff like that. 
The second one that I'll say for me, very personal, is mental health. And I think that, again, that's not a milestone by any means. That's an experience. I've dealt with anxiety for years, and it's under control with the help of medication, and I'm not shy about admitting that and talking about it, right? We all fight our own battles, and uh, to find that sense of control, that sense of balance is key to harmony in our lives. Well, in sports, like that's a big topic right now. I don't, but those that work for, for teams and venues, they're working nights, they're working weekends, they're working holidays. And then, oh, guess what? They got to be at the office the next day at yeah. 10 a.m., whatever it is. And so they don't work normal hours. It's a lot. And so a passion of mine is also understanding how we can, you know, aid and assist those that work for, for sports organizations to achieve that harmony. You know, is it giving people a flexible work schedule in sports? Is it, hey, if you have a game till midnight the next day, don't come in till one o'clock the next day? Is it uh, allowing, you know, them to go to doctor's appointments or kids appointments without, you know, a turn of the head or taking any, you know, time off or anything like that. So mental health is the other one that that I'm strongly behind. And again, a battle that we're all fighting probably in our own ways, especially coming out of COVID and what we discovered about ourselves. Yeah, thanks for that. As you look to 2023 and beyond, what do you feel will happen in relation to societal empathy in relation to to inclusion, diversity, equity, and accessibility in the physical space and marketing space for premium offerings. What are the what are the challenges, fears, joys? The f- fears, I think, are less now than what the enthusiasm is behind it. I think we are all leaning into that. And again, it could be for our own social or financial prudency, whatever it is, people are getting behind it, right? And that's what's so exciting is that I think we are seeing a, a I don't know, turning of the tides, if you will, people are leaning into these social issues because they impact everyone in some way. So I'm going to keep this answer short. I, I see things coming in the future. And I think that there are so many resources and groups and podcasts like you're doing right now that can show us the way and the path to an inclusive future. I don't have all the answers for how our venues get there, but I'm already seeing it. I'm already seeing that from soup to nuts, like architecturally in the owner's reps and the you know team, like everybody is leaning into how do we make our venues inclusive and accessible? And again, it might be to get more butts in the, in the seats and stands, but that's fine. They're running a business too. It might be for social issues, whatever it is, but Chris, we're all leaning into it. And so I'll, I'll cut my answer there because I'm just very, very encouraged about where we're going with all of our, our efforts. Now that's good here. We are we are as well because we believe that uh, we we see again you 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 spoke to the the younger audiences and certainly they are cause driven thank heavens and that that they will they will serve to to force change that is that will be for the good of society so one last question how about a look into the crystal ball of your career what may the future hold for you Maya? i wish i knew man <laughs> I, I told you happenstance got me to where i am so will happenstance get me to where i will be with that crystal ball i don't i this is the worst answer to end on because i don't know to be honest i'd love to continue what i'm doing and continue working with people like you to push forward all of these causes that we care about. What I'd like to see myself do is take this for what it's worth, work a little less and engage in my passions that can help those social issues that I care about more. And that's taking time off to volunteer at a food bank. That is taking time off to get into my kids' education and see what they're informed about. Because as you and I both know, that next generation is going to shape our world, quite literally. I mean, global warming and all of that. Like, behind what our next generation is doing. And so again, I will do my best to lead the premium seating industry, but I just think that there's there are so many that are bigger than what I do that can make our world a better place. Thank you. Amanda, 
thanks for, for joining us today. I'm really looking forward. I've enjoyed the, the last five year, years of our relationship and the, look forward to what the future may hold and uh, the opportunities that are ahead of us. You're the best. I can't, uh, can't thank you enough for making this a reality, you know, pushing the, the, the issues that we both care about, um, getting them into the spotlight. So really appreciate everything you're doing, Chris. And it was an honor. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you all for listening to Ignite Podcast from Design Sensory Intelligence. If you want to know more about the various ways we gain intelligence about audiences and turn that intelligence into solid marketing solutions and how to understand the position your organization holds in the minds and hearts of all people, just send a note to me. Chris Wise. Until next time, stay wise. Thank you for listening to Ignite, a podcast from Design Sensory Intelligence. If you want to learn more, head to designsensoryintel.com. Until next time, continue your pursuit of quenching your unending thirst for intelligent understanding of human consuming behavior.